Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We are um, having uh, APB Bolton for Newt Gingrich. Uh, we'll get him in just a moment or two, uh, hopefully. Remember, Newt Gingrich, interesting, former Speaker of the House, Fox News contributor. He's got a new book out uh, called The American Majority, March to the Majority, The Real Story of the Republican Revolution. Uh, that was back in the mid-90s, a very successful revolution, I might add. And I'm quite interested in how he handled Bill Clinton in those days relative to how Kevin McCarthy is handling uh, Joe Biden. But, I, you know, one of the key points right now, I want to just go b- circle back on this debt ceiling business because what really matters here, and it's uh, partly a budget issue, but more broadly, it's going to be a presidential leadership issue. And that is simply that um, the GOP, which has the House, is very important. House has all money bills originate originate in the House. The House uh, is where all tax bills must originate, originate. They have the power of the purse. You know, this is about restoring real prosperity to America. Now, you know, steady listeners may have heard me say this in the past. I will repeat it. The United States grew uh, in real terms, adjusted for inflation, uh, between 1947, after World War II, and the year 2000. The U.S. grew at 3.5% per year, for 50 years, 50-plus 50 years, okay, 47 to 2000, really quite remarkable. And by the way, we had recessions. I think we had 11 recessions and 12 recoveries or something like that. But that was a remarkable period of American prosperity. And that prosperity benefited everybody across the board, created phenomenal opportunities Uh, And, um, you know, whether we can replicate that or not remains to be seen. But in the last 20, almost 25 years, our growth rate has fallen back uh, to about 1.5%, 1 1.7%, 1.8%, under 2%. And that's one of the reasons, for example, that we have these huge budget deficits. We are not producing enough economic growth from business and uh, consumers and employment uh, to cover our spending. And the welfare state has grown larger, and central planning has grown larger. And unfortunately, some of this has happened during Republican administrations uh, and as well as Democratic administrations. We have not solved our prosperity problem. And Basic building blocks of prosperity, uh, low tax rates, minimal regulations, uh, price stability, a sound, reliable dollar, uh, restrained, limited government and government spending, which includes, you know, that's the real source of the debt problem is we just spend too much. This has got to be the number one issue in this campaign 
and it's got to be the number one longer-term issue. You know, these you see these uh, very bad long-term debt estimates uh, from the Congressional Budget Office, where debt to GDP will rise. You know, right now it's running around 100 uh, percent, which is just w- itself way too high. Right, let me stop blathering and uh, bring in my friend Newt Gingrich. We found him. He's former Speaker of the House, as you know. Brilliant Fox News contributor. Hey, hey Newt. Uh, Newt, glad we got hold of you. Thank you. <clears throat> Memorial Day. As always, best to Ambassador Callista. And um, I want to talk to you. You know, you've got this book, Mar- uh, March to the Majority, the real Hello. story of the Republican Revolution. It's coming out, what, June 6th. Some of it's already mm-hmm. up uh, on Amazon, I think. But I want to start by talking about, you know, what you did then and what are the lessons learned and how you dealt with Bill Clinton, how you got your contract with America, which included work requirements and lower taxes and economic growth. And what what can we take from that in terms of today's uh, battles over the debt ceiling and the fact that we have a very poor economy right now with uh, virtually no growth and uh, high inflation. What can we learn, Newt Gingrich? Hello. Hmm. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I got you. I can hear you. I hear you fine. Or I did. I, I can hear you, Newt. Our listeners can hear you. All right, we're going to try on another line. Um, again, I come back to this <laughs> my prosperity argument, which Newt will fill in the gaps in, in just a moment. We get him on a different line. But um, this has got to be, I mean, here's a statistic for you. Uh, I don't want to get into the weeds, but look, uh, Joe Biden's been president for two years plus, almost two and a half years now, and uh Middle-class wages, blue-collar, middle-income wages uh, adjusted for inflation have fallen, fallen 7%. Actually, I believe the number is 7.3% in his, in his term. All right, here's Newt back on a better line, hopefully. Good. Can you hear me okay? I can. I got gotcha. you. Hey, good. I'm delighted to chat with you, and, and uh, this will be a pretty exciting weekend, I think, uh, they're very likely going to end up with a uh, debt ceiling agreement that is going to be remarkably positive for exactly what you're concerned about. Uh, in lower taxes, less spending, and greater opportunity for people to create jobs and go to work. Newt, go back 25 years. You had to handle Bill Clinton. Uh, we captured the Congress, the contract with America, Ultimately, with lower taxes and less spending and work requirements and so forth, you wound up a tremendous prosperity that actually balanced the budget and created surpluses. Uh, what can we take from that experience a while back, and what can we take f- from that experience today in the debate? Because I think this debt ceiling debate is really just the beginning of the debate. It could be a turning point for conservative economics, but we'll see. Anyway, what can you tell us from your book? Yeah. Well, I I, I just wrote um, March to the Majority, which takes the whole period of the 
16 years we worked to create a majority, the first majority in 40 years. And then the four years we negotiated with Clinton. And, and Marsh, the majority, is really kind of a cookbook of how you do it. And I have to say, I think that Speaker McCarthy so far is, is doing a very good job of following that game plan, uh, which starts with the American people. I mean, uh, Lincoln once said, with popular sentiment, anything is possible. Without popular sentiment, nothing is possible. Uh, and Reagan, in his farewell address, said all of his greatest victories were won by the American people, not by him, uh, because they told Congress what they wanted. So you start you start with the notion that you have to have big goals, uh, getting back to a work requirement, for example, which we did with welfare reform, uh, controlling spending, having the kind of tax cuts, and equally important, having the kind of regulatory changes that make it easier for people to create jobs and be entrepreneurs and start companies. All of these things are, are a practical playbook, which, frankly, when you were in the Reagan White House, uh, you were helping develop and implement. It goes, goes back to the 70s, and, and people like um, Art Laffer, Jack Kemp, um, and, and Reagan picking up the whole theme of supply-side economics and the idea that the way you defeat inflation is you create more jobs, more products, more goods and services, so you, you're mopping up the extra money by providing extra things that people can get, which is very different than what the Federal Reserve is trying to do now, which is a classic demand side. Let's punish everybody until they're so poor that we don't have any inflation because nobody can spend anything. Um, and I think that uh, it's really important, and I, I agree with you. I think the uh, debt ceiling agreement that we're going to see is going to be a, a step. It's not, it's not the whole journey. But it is a clear step towards lower taxes, less spending, and less regulation. And uh, if they follow up on that, I think they're going to – the House Republicans will release a balanced budget proposal uh, that gets us to balance within 10 years. And, and that will have a big economic growth component because, as you know, you're the one – I mean, you're really the, the, the greatest teacher about this now. Um, <clears throat> when, when you get to 3.5% growth and you get back to a normal, dynamic America – it's amazing how much revenue that generates, uh, not by raising taxes, but by raising prosperity. You know, this supply-side model, which is so important in the Reagan Revolution, and which you carried forward through the contract with America, um, to some extent it's been lost. There's a bunch of us that are trying to restore it. We saw, we saw good brief glimpses of it during the Trump years. Uh, he was there on lower taxes and regulations, very, very important stuff. But, you know, uh, you had a balanced budget way back then, and I know you and I have talked about this in the last year or two. The principle of a balanced budget is so important, and you can have a pro-growth balanced budget. In fact, growth is essential. High growth and low inflation is essential to a balanced budget. Now, let me just ask you this. You talk. You spent a lot of time with Bill Clinton, all right, and yeah. in some vague way, you know, Clinton. I mean, he sort of vaguely understood this. But talk to us. Give us a little history about those conversations with Clinton. Did he understand well, what you were pushing him to do? Yeah, I mean, Clinton had been governor for a long time in Arkansas, which is a very conservative state, uh, and Clinton understood that the, the essence of uh, having a lower tax system. Uh, he, he campaigned as a centrist, and he had spent uh, a number of years trying to help the Democratic Party 
go back to the center. Uh, but once he got elected, uh, sadly for him and wonderfully for us, uh, the, the congressional Democrats talked him into being vastly more liberal in his first two years in office. And he, he broke the coalition which had elected him and gave us the chance to, to win because they brought up things like, like a tax on energy. Well, America is a big country where people travel a lot and where people in the Northeast worry about the cost of fuel oil, heating oil, uh, and, and people around the country worry about uh, the cost of natural gas and the cost of gasoline. So they, they got the House Democrats to ram through without a single Republican vote a tax increase that was wildly unpopular. Uh, the Senate Democrats wouldn't even take it up. So they felt that the House Democrats had been sort of hung out to dry. Then they went after guns in a way which infuriated rural America. Uh, and you go through a whole series of these things. And, and by 94, Clinton was defeated in a shocking scale of landslide. Nobody expected a Republican House, but we also picked up the Senate. We picked up governorships. We picked up state legislators. Uh, and Clinton, who was a very practical guy, he'd, he'd won in 78 as the youngest governor in the country and lost in 80 and spent two years worrying about having lost because he didn't have much money. And that many lost the governor's mansion, the car, the airplane, the state police. You know, <laughs> And so he really wanted to get back to be governor again. Plus, he was an ambitious guy and he wanted to someday be president. So there was a big fight in the White House in June of 95. And all of his liberal staff said to him, you know, you have to take Gingrich head on. You have to fight for our values. You have to stand firm for liberalism. And he said to them, you know, if I do what you want me to, I'm going to get beat in 96. But if I work with Gingrich, I might be able to get reelected. And I ain't going to do what you want me to. And we, we had, when, when we were negotiating, there were a couple of times, for example, when Leon Panetta, who at that time was his chief of staff, would, would, would literally jump up in anger and yell at him and say, you can't do that. We lost control of the House because we did that. And if you repeal it, 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 it'll make everything we sacrificed, you know, useless. And Clinton would just stare at him. I mean, I, I'd never quite seen a president dressed down by his chief of staff before. And, you know, and, and, then, and, then, and then he would say, well, maybe I can't do all of it. And then he'd do half of it. And so you, you could move him. I mean, we people forget. And, and this is where I'm really pleased with the way that, that Speaker McCarthy is operating, because he's going down to see the president. They are having conversations. Well, I met with Clinton uh, on 35 different days uh, in order to uh, get a balanced budget agreement. And, and, you know, you had to sit in a room and you had to talk it out. Uh, but he was a guy you could talk with. Uh, you know, I, 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 can't, I couldn't imagine trying to do that with Barack Obama. <laughs> Newt, uh, let me just take a quick commercial break. I want to come back and continue exactly this conversation. And uh, I want to raise the point that Ronald Reagan beat Jimmy Carter on the economy and that Bill Clinton beat uh, Papa Bush on the economy. And the Republicans had their heyday on the economy. And you're right. Kevin McCarthy understands that. The question is, do our presidential candidates understand that? Folks, we're talking to Newt Gingrich, of course, former Speaker of the House, Fox News contributor, his new book, March to the Majority, The Real Story of the Republican Revolution. It's coming out June 6th. It's available for pre-order. I'm Kudlow. We'll be back with Newt Gingrich in just a moment. Larry Kudlow. 